Hello and welcome to The Procurement Show, the show that tackles the topics we all need to think about and sets out to explore the more interesting bits of procurement. I'm Jonathan O'Brien. And I'm Paul Philpott. My role here is to keep Jonathan on his toes, but also remind you to click that subscribe button. This week we're talking about managing procurement through a pandemic in the NHS. And we've got a very special guest from the NHS who's going to talk to us in just a moment. But first, we are, of course, a global podcast, so we need to explain what the NHS is. Mm. The Procurement Show is brought to you by Positive Purchasing, enabling the future of procurement in organisations around the globe. Here in the UK, we have what we call the National Health Service. It's a government-funded medical and healthcare services that everybody living in the UK can use without being asked to pay the full cost of the service. And you know, our NHS has been ranked the number one healthcare system in a comparison of 11 countries by the Commonwealth Fund, a US think tank that looked across the world at leading developed nations. Now, before COVID, here in the UK, we all loved the NHS. And now this is even stronger and it's hard to travel down a street without seeing a rainbow thank you NHS yes. sign for all the just incredible work that People have literally been putting banners up on their front lawns yep. and on the front of their houses. Yep. And it's been an amazing supportive response. And rightly so. It's an incredible phenomenon to see and well-deserved because the NHS is the fifth biggest employer in the world. It employs 1.5 million people here in the UK. Wow, I never knew that. Treats 1 million patients every 36 hours before COVID and spends now around £212 billion, which is about $270 billion. So today's special guest is one of the senior players in procurement within the NHS. He's been head of supply chain for the Plymouth NHS Hospitals Trust, director of procurement for the NHS Peninsula and Supply Chain Trust, and is now Chief Procurement Officer at University Hospitals Plymouth. He also has a lead role with NHS England and NHS Improvement. Please give a warm welcome to the Procurement Show to Andy McMinn. My welcome is very, very warm for you, dear sir. You keep it all going, don't you, by the sounds of it? Yeah, well, <laughs> great to see you guys this morning. I'm not sure it is that, but you know, I've got a team probably across three organisations of about 82 people. It's all down to their hard work and effort, and I suppose I would say that, but... Yeah, it really, really is a team effort. And that's what the NHS is about. We say at our trust, one big team, and it is one big team. So where do you start? So one minute you're flat out trying to do procurement in the world's number one healthcare system provider. And the next minute, suddenly you're fighting a pandemic. Mm. What happens first? How do you begin to respond? I remember one of the days that's really firm in my memory is 21st of March last year. A couple of days before we'd been told by our execs that we needed to plan for any of us as, I don't like the term back office, but it's probably easy to describe for people across the globe, is we were said that we needed to get off site. Fundamentally, we're a caring organisation and we had to think of the safety and well-being of our team. So I was told that by the end of the week, I needed to have the team off site. And I remember on the 21st of March, I was stood in the office. You know, this is an open plan office, about 120 people. And I was stood there and there was nobody in it. And wow. my team had literally taken their computers and gone home. Wow. And I remember stood there looking across the office, I think, Christ, what do mm. I do now? Yeah. And that's how it started. Yeah. And then over that year, I mean, the last, I think, up until the end of March has been a whirlwind. And March this year, yeah. it literally has been a whirlwind. And I look back now and imagine, well, remember some of the things that we've achieved and built and help the trust 
be successful in is just a remarkable experience and tough times but really rewarding times as well. You use the term whirlwind I mean that's probably a really good word to describe this situation but can you give us an idea of the scale of what you had to turn your hands to I mean the NHS as Jonathan quite rightly said in his introduction is a massive organisation and all of a sudden you're faced with just a massive situation on your hands as well. Mm. Well I suppose it's really worthwhile to help you understand the scale of just the hospital I work for we have 2,800 suppliers at the Trust. Just on products alone, we buy 80,000 products a year. That's three times more than the biggest supermarket in Devon. You know, I've got three times the inventory of that supermarket. We have eight and a half, nine thousand 9,000 staff. On any day pre-COVID, we would have 30,000 people on the hospital site. So that's wow. staff, suppliers, patients, visitors. You know, that's a small town. And I think the first month and a half, we worked in procurement and supply chain management without a single day off. Wow. You know, we really were in the eye of a storm from probably one that everybody across the globe, and particularly in the UK, can connect with is is trying to get PPE. And that was that immediate focus in that first month and a half. And then as the dust settled on national supply chains kicking in, then you're looking at still in containment mode, but also medium to long term strategies around reshaping the hospital to deal with what at that time was an expected increase in the amount of COVID-19 patients that we would need to treat and hopefully make better. So I guess that when you're faced with this situation, then all of a sudden money is going to be thrown at you because I've worked with the NHS. I know it very well. And it's an organisation that thinks carefully about every penny, every cent that it spends. And all of a sudden, we've got this situation where the government and the governments around the world are saying, just figure it out. Here's as much money as you need. And so we pride ourselves, of course, in procurement with making sure that we're accountable. Mm. We can show transparency in everything that we're doing. How does that work when you've suddenly got this situation and you've got all the money you need being thrown at you? How do you make sure you do procurement well? Yeah, difficult. I think when I reflect, I'm quite proud of not only did we deliver on some incredible demands over the last year, but over that same period, we've still proven that we've delivered value for money, whilst at the same time, and this is the important thing from a public sector perspective, is treat every supplier fairly and equitably. That's really important to us. You know, when pressure hits and like pressure that we've never seen before, then you think you would naturally compromise. I generally don't think we have. We've been, is agile the right word? I'd argue at Plymouth, we've always been fast and responsive. And I think we've just done what we normally do. But yeah, I think in procurement, you sort of die set as for you as an individual, you want to deliver value for money, you want to treat everybody fairly and equitably. And you can't just turn that off, I don't think, I'd argue. But there are things you can do that does not avoid or compromise yourself professionally, Mm. but probably thinking more about outcomes and creative ways to move swiftly as is necessary. And I think working off site, I mean, we naturally, worked faster because we were working longer and probably the greatest learning for me over the last year has been that the people that work in our team have gone way beyond the pale you know I probably had a belief that home working mm, I'm not too sure about that I'm not sure you get the best out of people or maybe some people swing the lead a little bit but that's been proven to me to be totally the wrong way to view people the team that works for me has just 
worked longer hours and sometimes seven days a week to get the job done. Well, wow. thing is, though, Andy, you say that having a, an ethical approach to procurement is an approach that certainly you have taken. But on the other side, you've got organisations who, I'm going to go there, they just see the opportunity to make a quick buck. Have you found that you came across suppliers that did try to take advantage of the pandemic? Yeah, I put a post on LinkedIn. I can't remember what it was when we were struggling to get a certain type of PPE. And the hits and the reshares I got was just unprecedented. But the amount of suppliers that I'd never known before that Mm. flooded this sector thinking they could sell something they didn't understand, yeah, it was absolutely the case. And, you know, I've had suppliers quoting me 10 times what we would normally pay for a garment, a gown, etc. Now, prices were inflated, but there were some suppliers out there. It was very much a race. It was like the Wild West, and it was very much a race to secure inventory anywhere in the globe and then trade that on but that's capitalism so we've got to deal with it and with some of those less reputable companies out there so i can't even imagine what that must be like suddenly you've got to buy ppe and it's life critical that you do Mm. it and Mm. you've got these less reputable companies or companies you don't know anything about trying to get in there waiting in the wings can't even begin to imagine how you navigate through that one to get the things that you can't get and two to make sure you don't make the wrong decision yeah well i suppose what we did we didn't buy from those suppliers i'm really proud of our hospital we never ran out of a single ppe garment over the whole of the covid the main heavy period of the highest volume of patients and we just reached out to our established network and i think what's really important here to note from a procurement perspective is that it's at times of stress and at times of difficulty that the relationships that you've strategically developed those suppliers that you work well with and have looked after you and you've looked after them that's at that moment of stress that you rely on them and if you haven't done that work beforehand or it's early days in a new role for you then you're going to see the consequences of not having those important relationships in place so we bought PPE from suppliers that we haven't bought before but they weren't new suppliers to us and we noticed some supplies that were really good at sourcing and had good supply chains across the globe and they developed their business to sell pp as well the procurement show exploring the more interesting bits about procurement and now the procurement fun fact this edition's exciting tale of preposterous procurement bizarre buying or simply saucy sourcing The cargo ship, the Ever Given, that got stranded in the Suez Canal earlier in 2021 might seem like old news now. However, the impact of the delays it caused will impact our supply chains that we all depend on for many, many months to come. We can expect longer lead times on things we order, but it's not just bicycles and garden furniture where we will feel the impact. We could be headed for a shortage of cheese, olive oil supplies will dry up and prices will rise for instant coffee as almost all the coffee that Europe imports passes through the canal. It all goes to show how fragile our global supply chains are and how one stranded container ship for just six days can delay $70 billion of trade. The Procurement Fun Fact Contact us by email hello at theprocurementshow.com Send us a tweet at procurementshow or connect with us on LinkedIn. Search for The Procurement Show. 
Jonathan's mentioned on previous podcasts actually about the importance of building valued, trustworthy, integral supplier relationships. And I think this is a moment where all that hard work comes to fruition and basically the extended team, which is what it can be in many situations, you're all of a sudden on the same page, aren't you? You're fighting for the same cause. So it sounds like this is a situation where it's a big team, but also you're saying to suppliers, you haven't made this before. Can you tool up yeah. to make this stuff? Is that what they did? It's exactly that. Or have they got a supplier within their supply chain yeah. who sells that product, but they just don't purchase it from them? And I can think of a couple of companies that really helped us out, but were familiar companies too that we know we could trust, we could rely on, we had a good trading history with. There was risk for those suppliers, and that's the important bit for them sourcing new products maybe they weren't familiar with, but we worked with them to share that risk. And it's not just PPE here as well, because in addition to having to meet that challenge, you've had to build whole new laboratories, Mm -hmm. there's whole new vaccination centres that have sprung up, and you've had to find the sites, you've had to equip them with everything that they need, buildings, equipment, people, fixtures and fittings. I mean, that's immense. And we're not just buying a thing, we're doing big capital expenditure, big temporary expenditure for whole facilities. How did you go about doing that? Yeah, PPE, if you look public, was the distraction. I mean, for me, PPE very quickly settled down. The first four to seven weeks were stressful because it was panic buying. It was toilet paper mentality of supermarkets, but it very quickly settled down. And then your focus immediately shifts to things like capital bills. I mean, we had to build a test and trace lab in Plymouth. You probably look in 12 months, maybe slightly longer as a project. We had to do it in four. Mass vaccination centres, you know, probably a couple of weeks lead time to start planning for go live. So this is really short lead times. But again, what I'm reliant on then is the competency and the skill of our team. We're following processes that are born from, I've been at the Trust 14 years So our approach to capital procurement is the same and consistent over that time. But what we're doing is stepping through it far faster, more agility, looking at ways we can adapt and respond even faster than normally. Clearly, we're throwing more resource at it because it's dependent and we're stopping doing other work. So, yeah, again, I'm relying on the competencies and the capabilities that we've developed over more than 10 years. So that's the context that I'm coming from. Do you think that this has changed your view of procurement and what a role of procurement is? No, I don't think it has. You know, ultimately, I'm here for the same purpose. The purpose was consistent over that period. We're here in this sector to help patients get better. That's ultimately what my team enables. So all that changed over that last year was maybe different pressures on what we were buying and different demands or changing demands. But our purpose in procurement remains the same. Time, cost, quality, value for money, Mm. managing risk, commercial risk, having good contracts and agreements in place. It's all the same important sort of outcomes and objectives that we try to do day to day. That was unchanged. Yeah, we had to move really quickly. Yes, we were under pressure and sometimes that turned into stress. But no, I didn't have to remind the team or tell the team, no, this is our differing purpose. The purpose remains exactly the same, I think. This is going to sound a really weird thing to say, but there was all of a sudden a challenge that you had to deal with, probably a challenge you'd never faced before. Did you enjoy that challenge? Actually, at the end 
end of the day, was that a real, right, gung-ho, we are going to fix this problem? Yeah, I think there's a real immense sense of satisfaction. I yeah. see it in my team. I see the feedback that we consistently get from the execs and the wider organisation. I think one thing this pandemic has taught maybe people outside of procurement in the NHS is how important procurement in the NHS yes. is. But I think for us personally, we've got an immense sense of satisfaction. Yeah, I bet. You know, I'm thinking like test and trace labs, mass vaccination centres. I remember the first day of the mass vaccination centre opening, you've seen six, 700 people queuing up and thinking at the end of the day, 700 people are going to be vaccinated on that first day and we've helped that happen. No other way to feel than pride for something like that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we live in a fantastic city. You two know that. And it's a brilliant hospital, I think. And it's clear that you and your team went above and beyond. But what about the supply chains to the NHS? I mean, and also within the NHS, how did they flex? How did they modify how they worked? Yeah, I think probably the biggest change, and it has been happening for probably a couple of years, is this shift to centralisation and nationalisation. And one thing that the Department of Health should be congratulated for is the parallel supply chain that it stood up for PPE supply. So it was a push supply chain that was set up and every day a delivery would turn up at our hospital and it would have everything we would need from a PPE perspective. Now, yeah, you'll have seen in the media there's been some challenges with that. Maybe some products sometimes turned up that weren't the right specification. But those were, for me, early issues. And I think from a supply chain management perspective, the thing that was stood up relatively quickly was demand capture. The way the NHS is set up in England, it's 235 individual organisations. It's not one NHS. We're under that one NHS umbrella, but it's 235 different hospitals, ambulance trusts, mental health, etc. And from a supply chain management perspective, if I was working in the private sector now, I'd have sales and production forecasting. I'd have inbound logistics and inventory that was coming in. And I'd see inventory on hand. Well, in the NHS, we don't have that. We don't see demand. There is no one system that captures demand. We would have had some sales and order pipeline information on the inbound side, but not fully because you've got 235 different organisations again. So the Department of Health setting up the demand capture that for us each as hospitals then we had to go in each day and say how much PPE we'd used. That would create your demand profile. And then sourcing nationally, you would see the inbound inventory and then the inventory on hand in the parallel supply chain. Do you think some of those changes will stick? Will that sort of approach to demand continue? Yeah, I think you will, because it's been a real benefit and value from now having it. I think it won't just stick. I think it'll be interesting to see how it develops and broadens. I come from the private sector, and inventory management isn't a particularly strong competency of the NHS in hospitals. You're probably talking... About 10% of hospitals have inventory system software. Wow. You know, so it, it is a real gap in competency. I want to just go back to something you were talking about earlier in terms of how you mobilise the team. And you're very humble at the start of this podcast that, you know, it's not about you, it's about the team. So if we ask the team now, what have you learned from this? Did this hurt you? Are there frailties in your team? What do you think they would say? I've just briefly touched on inventory management. It's not a frailty at our trust. We've been developing competence in that for about the last eight to nine years we've seen as i don't like to use the word exemplar but a pioneer for it in the nhs but we're still a long way behind the private sector in my view i think what it has probably identified is i was thinking a while ago one of the probably procurement two by two grids that people are most probably aware of is the Kraljic model and i think pp will be a great example to show a category that you probably see as leverage as 
highly competitive so you can drive the cost right down i think now if we were to run crowdjack analysis we'd probably put pp in strategic yeah absolutely and then that would lead to a differing strategy and that strategy would probably look at if you looked at pp and it's strategic the first thing you would notice would be well it's all coming from china and it's all on either got to fly it out or on a i don't know three to four week ship time so you probably develop jonathan you know a uk landed mm-hmm. manufacturer and i think we'd probably have a different approach to portfolio analysis now and as a consequence of that would develop alternative strategies for categories and I think you will now see, and I know it's already happening, is maybe lots of onshoring and manufacture of what we thought wasn't a strategic item now will lead to differing strategies nationally. Yeah, absolutely. And we've seen that as well. We, PPE very definitely once was leverage, suddenly it became strategic. Mm. Maybe it still is, maybe it's back in leverage, hard to tell. But I think the point is it's highlighted that risk and that suddenly onshoring or even vertical integration with healthcare providers actually setting up their own manufacturing facilities to manufacture some of this stuff. So Mm. some of those things I think, you know, we may well see. It's time to Ask Jonathan. Today's Ask Jonathan is via our LinkedIn page from Nathan E. Weber of Canada. He says, Dear Jonathan, and the following line is a guaranteed way of getting his question featured. I've read all of your books and they are a great help to my job. Thank you. I look after procurement in a large construction company and I really want to introduce category management and SRM, but I don't seem to be able to get it past the daily firefighting to source things urgently. And I seem to be the only one who can see the benefits of a more strategic approach. Very appropriate to this podcast. Is there anything I can do other than find another job? Yeah, I think you need to find another job no i mean the, the <laughs> <laughs> you have me then i thought good grief that's <laughs> well the thing is nathan i mean it's such a common dilemma that you find yourself in because you're in an environment where procurement tends to be sort of project based so you have these project teams working on construction projects who will be buying for that project and the idea that somebody centrally interfering with that will be alien so one you've got to have this big kind of battle with everybody that works for the organization to convince them that by bringing procurement into the center is a good thing you've also got to get executive buy-in and support for doing that because this sounds like it's probably an alien concept to the organization And then you can begin to look at things like category management and SRM, but really only for the things that are common and run across all the projects. Because the thing about construction, especially smaller projects, is you run into these situations where people just need it locally there and then and will establish their own relationships. So you've got to somehow be able to undo that and find the things that run across all the projects that you can actually run category management and SRM on. It is a very, very difficult industry to do these things in. However, the benefits are immense if you manage to do it, but it's all about getting the exec team on board and then selling this to the organization. A bit like what our guest today, Andy, said when he talked about you've got to manage comms up, down, left and right throughout the organization. It's all about internal comms. Excellent. Thank you very much for your question, Nathan. And please don't forget to keep buying those books. (laughs) Thank you. Ask Jonathan. Email your question to jonathan at theprocurementshow.com. You might be part of the next show. The Procurement Show. The latest thinking, the greatest insights. 
You mentioned PP, but what if there was another pandemic tomorrow? What do you think would be done differently? I think it will be that national parallel supply chain is that immediately overnight, those products, whatever they may be, that are going to be in, we're going to see increased demand for and consequently scarcity of supply will be managed once for the nation. And it will then flip into this established now model of push supply and for us as organisations, as hospitals, individual healthcare providers, we're told you don't need to buy that. It will be provided to you. This is where you enter your demand. Your supply will come through that route. That's what I think has been a remarkable achievement over that period. Was there anything that you had to stop doing through the pandemic? And did that cause any issues? I think the biggest thing was stopping working alongside one another. For those of us listening that, you know, we've worked in an office space, just remember how much you learn from being sat opposite somebody that you might hear in passing, that you might walk up to another department that's on the same floor because there's an interdependency between you. That's been our greatest challenge the last year. For me, this whole game's about relationships. And since March last year, my day's been full of MS Teams meetings. For some, it might be Zoom. Ironically, I've had more contact with my team, but I think I'm less connected to the organisation in that I've not been able to go into the hospital very much. Um, I can't feel the atmosphere. I can't sense the mood. Those are the things that I'm missing. And from that, then you change your approach, I feel, in communication. So I'm asking more questions to calibrate more on how people are feeling and thinking. So can you describe to me how you're thinking might be a question rather than me trying to sense how you're thinking or feeling? Yeah, I think that's been our greatest challenge. I don't think it will go back to how it was. I think everybody's settled on it. It'll be hybrid working. But we do need this physical contact. You know, we're human beings and I think it's something that at our core we need, really. We are. But having had to navigate all of this and having to make decisions with serious consequences very, very quickly in a situation you've never faced before, would you say this has made procurement not just for you guys, but for other people as well, more agile? For my team, I think we're always agile and responsive, but I then can see somebody's opinion of procurement where maybe a team is very focused on governance and transactional and rules and process that maybe they're not viewed as being agile and responsive and maybe more transactional in nature. It'd be interesting to ask those teams maybe that have that type of approach, have they had to compromise on that? I think at Plymouth and at my team, we very much focus on outcomes. So what does the customer, what does the hospital, what does the patient need? Right, let's get it done. Whilst at the same time, not compromising our professional responsibility and our own motivation to deliver value. Yeah, I think we've always been agile, but maybe some aren't. So looking at the government level, you talked a lot about changes in the demand profiles and the government stepping in to actually take over how demand is managed. So it takes a lot of the pressure away and makes those national supply chains work. Do you think that this has also changed how the government will view procurement, not just in the NHS, but in the public sector as well? And what sort of lessons do you think we can learn from that? Yeah, I think probably personal comment on that is, and it's just from an observation perspective, is we used to have a body when I first came to the NHS in 2007 called the Public and Supplier Association. And that sourced or strategic procurement on behalf of the NHS. And it was closed, I think, I forget, probably around that same time, 2007, 2008. And a number of us in the system always thought that was a mistake. And I think 
looking at what the Department of Health have built this year around a PPE sourcing cell, this demand capture analytics, now the recent announcement around medical device procurement. I think if we asked them, they'd probably say, yeah, it was probably a mistake. So we're seeing national bodies and a move to centralisation. I think there's a lot of success for the profession this year. Mm. There's so much for us to be proud of. Mass vaccination has been a remarkable achievement. And the PPE supply chain, physically getting it, you know, what can be hundreds and hundreds of SKUs to, I mean, in my own organisation, I've got 150 inventory locations for PPE across the hospital. That's one hospital and we've got 135 of them. So eventually it was a remarkable success, I'd argue, But I think how it is, and rightly so, some of the stories in the press about how some of these contracts are awarded reflects badly on our profession. And I hope it doesn't tarnish us because I think 90, 95% of what we've done this year has been an incredible achievement. Yeah. And it's just sad that maybe something like that, that that might tarnish our profession, really. And looking from the outside, you know, there is just no question of the scale of the achievement Mm. and how remarkable it is. And, you know, back to what we said right at the start, you know, thank you, NHS. Absolutely, yes. Not just procurement, but everything that's come together to do this. Andy, throughout this interview, you've mentioned numerous ways in which you've brought about rapid improvements, new ideas, new ways of thinking. But I want to ask you... Top three things, I call them takeaways because mm-hmm. I like my takeaways. Top three things we can learn from managing through a pandemic. There you go. There's a question for you. Plan for panic buying and the importance of being on the front foot of comms, both upwards through the organisation, across the organisation and crucially with the public. I mean, I got literally bombarded by offers of making masks from children who had a 3D printer at home from, I remember, a gin company you could make liquid for the hands. Yeah, Yeah. and that was a hell of a lot of noise that sucked capacity at the start because I should have been ignoring them, but then you have to go and speak to those people and politely let them down and say thanks but no thanks. So comms are really important because, in effect, we would have panic consumption within the organisation, so people hoarding. And I was constantly saying to our execs, get the message out there, you don't need to take more than you need. We have got plenty but you need to be sensible with what you're taking. We don't want somebody going filling up a locker so they look after themselves. So I think that comms are really important. Don't get wrapped up with the emotion of everybody thinking it was a really bad situation when I was sat there quite calm. It was everybody else that was making me worried because <laughs> everybody else was running around panicking. So that would be one I think I wished I'd spent a bit more time early on is identifying risk beyond PPE, but you just got wrapped up with it, is what's coming down the track? What other things should I be worrying about? Feeds for patients, renal supply fluids, which became an issue. And I think once I knew PPE was settled, I should have stepped away from it so I could then see the wood for the trees, really. So I date probably looking at spend analysis to see any shifting demands, any products that we've seen an increase in consumption that we thought was unassociated and then it was actually linked to COVID-19 and then plan for containment strategies alongside that. I think the big things for me is more around team. I would say to everybody, presuppose that your team will absolutely pull out every stop and work every hour to get it done because they will. And I think for me, it's changed my thinking on home working. So again, presuppose that those working from home are working longer hours because they actually do, which then becomes another challenge is around their health and well-being and making sure that they're taking enough breaks 
and getting time away from what can be a stressful time. I think those are probably the three greatest takeaways we've ever had on the procurement show. Plan for panic buying and manage those comms upwards, downwards, sideways. Identify the risk beyond PPE and presuppose that the team will do absolutely everything they will to make this happen. Andy McMinn, thank you so much for joining us on the procurement show today. Oh, thanks. I really enjoyed it. And thanks for having me. Another great interview. Oh, fantastic. And I'm sure there were more than three top takeaways there, actually. Yeah, I think we could have done a whole series of procurement show episodes from that, I think. Jonathan, very quickly, just to paint the picture for our international audiences who perhaps aren't familiar with where Andy is based at Derriford Hospital in Plymouth. He mentioned earlier that it's like a small city. Yeah, Derriford Hospital is one of the biggest hospitals in the NHS in the UK. It is absolutely immense. I have got lost in there, going to see relatives to take great and things like that it is huge and the buying undertaking the procurement effort that goes into that hospital trust as one of many in the uk is just immense thank you another fact filled episode of the procurement show as i said earlier at the very beginning of the program don't forget to click subscribe and if you have any questions comments or feedback please 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 do get in touch thanks for listening you've been listening to the procurement show contact us by email hello at the procurement show.com Connect with us on LinkedIn, search for The Procurement Show, and on Twitter, at Procurement Show. Visit us at theprocurementshow.com. The Procurement Show is brought to you by Positive Purchasing, enabling the future of procurement in organizations around the globe. Copyright Positive Purchasing, all rights reserved. Produced by Fresh Air Studios.